Good morning, everybody. My name is Una Gilvary and I am the CTO of Healthcare Informed. And you're very welcome to uh, this morning's episode of our HCI webinar series. Thank you very much for all making the time uh, to be here. We have about a half an hour or so for some discussions and I hope you'll find it of value. Today's focus is on incident reviews, or serious incident reviews, I suppose, as we'd probably be more comfortable uh, uh, or more commonly discussed. And we know from the incident review process that it really is the next step on from the standardized incident management model. And where we're required really to apply a much more comprehensive approach when sig significant events occur uh, within the service. Now, the HSE Incident Management Framework, uh, which you're all, I'm sure, aware of, and those of you particularly within mental health services would know the national standards for the conduct of reviews of patient safety. Um, those documents have, have illustrated to us, I suppose, that there is a very robust governance model that's going to be required for us to be able to complete um, effective serious incident reviews. And with that comes additional roles and responsibilities and, and much more defined processes in the way that we approach um, a, a, an incident review should a serious incident occur. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to discuss a blow by blow account of how to implement a serious incident review. Um, but what we do uh, have, have some time to discuss is to look at some of the challenges that have arisen within services that have tried to implement uh, the review in incident review process. In many cases, HCI have a lot of experience going in and doing as, uh, incident reviews throughout many of the health and social care sectors. But in many cases, services would have had an attempt to implement the model themselves and have run into significant challenges in that regard. So then when HCI come in, we're, we're, we're in a position to assist and, and bring them to, to fruition. So what I'd like to spend the time at this morning is looking at some of those challenges and perhaps, you know, identifying how we can be prepared and, and, and sidestep them to the best of our abilities in that regard. Okay, so why are we here? Well, we, we've, we, we kind of have an, a, an idea of, of the approach, but unfortunately within uh, our lives, within health and social care sectors, we know that significant and serious uh, events do arise. And it's something I suppose that's part and parcel of, of, of the, the model that's, that's provided, the model of care that's provided. Just to give you an idea, I suppose, of some of the research and, and, and information that we're bringing to the table, we completed an analysis quite recently of looking at incident reviews or serious incident reviews and investigations that related to them um, within Ireland and the UK and looking at some of the comparisons of um, where were the key issues within these uh, within these uh, services that had significant problems? And one of the key areas that came up time and time again was issues with their the services incident management model, and particularly in relation to investigation of serious reviews or serious incident reviews. Close to home, I've just pulled out to to uh, to, to look at briefly in relation to Port Leash, the perinatal investigation report that was uh, in relation to the the deaths of four newborn babies over six years in Port Leash. But when they looked particularly at incident management, they found that when uh, the focus on incident management was really about reporting getting it down on paper, and it was being very reactive in that regard. So it was focused on recording the incidents rather than implementing an effective response in that regard, doing anything about them, identifying, categorizing, and responding appropriately. They found that management didn't collate or analyze or trend or use incident-related information in any way that would proactively address risks, 
they didn't investigate in, in incidents to any great regard or share the learning uh, from uh, that would arise in that result. They found senior managers, which was this was an interesting point. Senior managers detailed that they did not have the staff with the expertise required to oversee the process of investigation of serious incidents. And this is certainly something and we'll talk about a little bit later, where there are significant challenges having actually uh, experienced individuals to be able to drive a serious incident review process within your service. A little bit more recently in relation to the Oakendine review, which was in relation to um, a review of the maternity services within Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital Trust. When they looked specifically at serious incident reviews, they found that those that were completed were often very cursory. They weren't multidisciplinary. They didn't identify any of the underlying systemic failings. And in some cases, significant areas of concern or significant issues of concern were not investigated at all. Probably one of the most damning findings within the Oakendine review was that the maternity governance team, who were responsible for serious incident reviews, they inappropriately downgraded serious incidents to a local investigation methodology in order to avoid external scrutiny, so that the true scale of the serious incidents of the trust went unknown. So they were compartmentalizing, keeping it, containing any instance that, ar uh, that arose so that they could manage it within their own group rather than opening it up to a full investigation where, where the, the, the reality, I suppose, would have come to the fore and there would be much more general knowledge uh, and transparency in relation to the issues that were arising. And as a result, the lessons weren't learned, mistakes and care were repeated, and the safety of patients were unnecessarily compromised. So as I mentioned just at the opening, the incident management framework, I'm sure you're all very aware of it, originally launched in 18 and, and upgraded with a particular focus, I suppose, uh, in relation to patient safety incident reviews in 2020. And it goes into detail about full system analysis. And that's what we talk about a lot when we talk about category one instance and serious incident reviews. We talk about full system analysis. And that's something that we're going to, to talk about today. As I said, those of you who are particularly in mental health services, the National Standards for the Conduct of Reviews of Patient Safety, they're not uh, particularly rateable for um, applicable for residential or uh, disability services, but however, they carry all best practice in relation to reporting and open disclosure um, and notification requirements for external bodies. So before we look at the pitfalls, what is an incident review in, 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 in reality? So it involves a structured analysis that's conducted using best practice methods to determine what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and whether there are any learning points for the service. So that seems pretty straightforward. It's not a, a huge leap from where we were for our standard incident management um, process. But we're going to look specifically for incident reviews. And these incident reviews, as per the HSE incident management framework, says that if you have a category one incident, that being a clinical or non-clinical incident, that is rated as a major or extreme on the HSE risk impact table, then that will require um, uh, it will require a, an incident review. So we can see that from the table. I know the text is quite small, but generally where we're looking at uh, harm to, to, to persons or service user experience, where they are falling under the major or extreme categorization, then we are looking at a category one incident that is going to require a significant uh, upstep, uh, a reboot, I suppose, in our considerations for incident management and how we're going to approach them.
So I said, with those categories, category one, two, and three, we're not going to get into the, the specifics of those. We're really going to look at that level one review, which is systems analysis. And this is really, I suppose, the go-to model when we're completing instant reviews and the approach that we take. So within systems analysis, and we're going to get into the challenges now in a second, but what, what do we want to achieve? It's a systematic review where we collect the data that's available to us in literature and records. We interview those individuals that are involved in the incident. And then we analyze all of this data to pull together a chronology of events that's going to lead up to that incident. And then from that information, we're going to try and identify findings um, that had an effect on the eventual harm. We're going to look at those contributory factors and try and pull those out. And from both of those, we're then going to recommend control actions to try and prevent future harm occurring in the future. So that's what we're aiming to do. But the model for that is quite, uh, it's quite detailed and it requires a really uh, comprehensive approach. Before we get into um, some of the other challenges, I think the biggest challenge in relation to systems analysis is getting that proper focus on the systems. Uh, the focus of the rule has to be on the systems. Those are the, the, the systems in place that were meant to support the provision of services and then considering the weaknesses within those systems that allowed the failures to arise. So this isn't a witch hunt model. This is about a systems analysis to see well what systems were in place, what were the weaknesses then that allowed this incident to arise. And it may be a combination of, of, of weaknesses, as they talk about the Swiss cheese model, that a number of failings may have lined up to allow the incident to occur. But something that's taken from the London Protocol, and I thought it was, it was uh, apt to put it here, it says, all too often, when something goes wrong in healthcare, those in charge will overemphasize the contribution of one or two individuals and pin the blame for the incident on them. Immediate blame will put paid to any chance of a serious and thoughtful investigation. An effective risk reduction means taking account of all of the factors and a changing environment for individuals to prevent errors. So that's the primary approach, the primary principle, I suppose, we have to bear in mind uh, as we embark on a systems analysis is to ensure that the focus is on the systems. And that can be a really difficult one um, to keep to the forefront as we embark on a full review. So let's look then at some of the challenges that we've seen services experience when they try and embark on, on a, a serious incident review. The first one is, I suppose, services not actually recognizing or even accepting that an incident review is required. So again, uh, maybe not quite to the same degree as the Okendema group, but there's the general discussion back and forth. Is it a category one? Is it not? Does it really require systems review? And by the time all this back and forth has happened, we're losing quality time in relation to the investigation process. So that, that's certainly a problem we see a lot where, the, as I said, just general indecision on whether a category one is required and, and to kick off the process. The second one we, we would see, we see in a wider regard is in relation to insufficient or perhaps no governance model in place to support the incident review process. So there's a recognition of category one incident has occurred and then it's like headless chickens. We have no model in place. We've never thought we've had to do this. We, we don't have defined roles and responsibilities in place for our, our um, 
senior accountable officer, who's that going to be, who our investigator is going to be, who's going to be a liaison officer. We don't have a terms of reference for our serious incident review team and just a general lack of clarity uh, on the step-by-step -step process that required. So there's no preparations, there's no robust model there ready to roll out should a category one and, and, and a full systems analysis be required. In many cases, and this is a real challenge, particularly for the smaller organizations, individuals involved in the incident review are not sufficiently independent of the incident. And that is detailed as a, as a key requirement within the HC incident management framework. We need to have uh, individuals that have an objective mindset that are on the investigation team and they have the, that they have the ability to step back and analyze the situation. So obviously they can't have been involved in the incident that is under review. Those people then that are completing the review, again, we saw this in, in the Port Yonkla example, individuals completing the incident review that really don't have any training in it, they have no practical experience in how to manage the process. And as a result, again, it's this scrambling um, at, at the early stages, trying to organize or trying to plan out how does this actually work? And there's nobody to take a lead on the incident review and, and, and drive it out from that regard. Another problem is the lack of clarity regarding the scope of the of the serious incident under review. So first of all, what what are we actually trying to achieve? What's the specific focus of this review and clarity as well in relation to the timeline that we're looking at? I mean, are we looking at a number of weeks, a number of months? It's really important that we have real clarity. Um, on the timeline uh, that we're looking at. And not only that, but also on the timeline of how long this investigation is going to take. We need to be clear, is this over six weeks? Is it over three months? You know, and depending on the resources that we have in place that are going to be able to, to push this through. We can also have problems in relation to the clarity of individuals who need to be involved in the review. So if we don't know upfront how many people are we going to have to interview who are actually involved, the, the, the review can start to mushroom and get out of hand very quickly. So we really need that clarity of spoke, uh, scope at the earliest possible stages. There can be a general lack of appreciation of the time required to complete an incident review. This is no, this is no small turkey. I mean, there's a significant amount of work required um, in relation to completing a serious incident review. Completing interviews is incredibly time consuming if we're, if we're doing it correctly in relation to preparing our, our questions that we're going to have, you know, getting the note taking done, which is also has to be made available to, to anybody who's inter interviewed incorporating factual corrections. There's so much back and forth with individuals that are involved in the serious incident review. And from that then, creating this chronology of events, which has to be kept live all the time. It's continually changing, depending on the information that we're getting back um, from either through document review or through our interview process. So that information has to be continually added. In some cases, incident reviews require external experts, and it can be very difficult to get those experts, particularly within the timeframes we need them to have. So that certainly can be a challenge uh, in that regard. We can have lack of engagement with affected persons, and we know that the value of the incident, a serious incident review, is central in relation to having the involvement of the affected persons. Again, this goes back to lack of planning. If we don't have a communication plan from the outset to say, how are we going to engage with these people? Who's going to liaise with these, uh, these individuals? And how can we engage them in the process? Be clear on what the review is about, 
and get the consent letters and open, disclo uh, open disclosure agreements and all of that information uh, being upfront. So we have real clarity. And as I said, those designated liaison supports, not only for, um, for whether it is service users, residents and their families, but also for the staff that are involved. You know, it is key that we have real engagement with staff, which can be, can, can be difficult to achieve if we're just bumping it onto them and, and there's no real clarity on the process. One of the biggest challenges uh, we've seen is, is individuals being able to facilitate the interview process. Um, if you have insufficient preparation, you don't know what questions you really want answered, um, you know, the questions not being individualized to actually find out what needs to be found out from those individuals. And then that inability to facilitate. We only have a short period of time. It's a very emotional atmosphere. People can become uh, very emotional within those uh, those those uh, interviews and we really need a strong facilitator to be um, to have the correct tone within those interviews to be able to to empathize with the individuals um, within interviews but also to get the questions answered that we need to get to get answered another problem can be ineffective involvement by the serious incident management team as we know they they are central to the 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 instant review process and information should be fed to them on a continual basis but in some cases we see instant our teams not meeting often enough and they're not really aware of what's going on or kept up to speed on it and in certain cases late additions being added on to a serious incident management team who then don't agree with the approach or have significant issues uh, in relation to to the way that the process has been run to date and then we're back again uh, pushed back in the cycle the reports themselves, technical writing is always a challenge, but it is really challenging with it within serious instant reviews because you have so many audiences for the reports themselves. So uh, in many cases, we see that they, the reports don't achieve the aims of what the report wanted to want to achieve. We don't know what there's no clarity on what happened or why it happened or what's the recommendations that are going to be put in place. So the questions are not being answered uh, that needed to be so. As I said, we have a number of audiences. We may have service users, we may have families, um, and then we have the service themselves and staff. It is really important that the tone and the approach of the report is appropriate and it is accessible to all in that regard. So, uh, you know, the reports certainly are incredibly time consuming and, and require a real focus. We've seen ineffective actions taken to, in response to final reports, you know, really good work done on the investigation and, and the contributory factors and the, and the recommendations being put in place, but then the report just kind of withers on the vine and, and no real action taken um, uh, in, in, in relation to it. No, so no driving of continuous improvement and ensuring that those actions are being implemented and ensuring that they're effective. And then no shared learning. So again, uh, we're, we're looking at a case where the same issues are coming up again because uh, there has been either uh, incorrective recommendations or ineffective implementation and the cycle continues again and we see very similar issues occurring within the service uh, over time. So with all of those challenges in, in, in mind, I suppose we have to consider what makes for an effective incident review, a serious incident review, you know, what's, what's going to, to, to make our uh, incident reviews really tick all the boxes. First of all, they have to be timely. 
So we're looking for both um, the initial reporting of incidents and the decisions taken for review are taken in a timely manner. Now, there are timeframes detailed within the HC incident management framework, and we really have to be considerate of those and we have to be quick off the mark should a category one incident arise. We have to recognise the importance of serious incident reviews uh, within our services. And I suppose to date, most services have had a very standardised incident management framework where the line manager is made responsible for the incident, maybe the person in charge is involved, the registered provider um, may have a final sign off, but it is a very standardised and kind of localised process. This is a much broader approach uh, when we look at uh, management of Category 1 incidents and, and, and completing systems analysis. It requires a robust, comprehensive governance model to be put in place with, every, with all you know, clarity on the roles and responsibilities and the demands that are going to be made from those individuals should an incident review arise. And we need to have those appropriate resources in place you know, with investigators, our serious incident team are clear on their roles and that we have liaison officers in place. And, you know, this is, as I said, this is going to take people away from maybe their day-to-day -day activities. It's, it's, it really requires an investment of time uh, in, in that regard. And we have to ensure that we have effective information governance structures in place for the management of the level of documentation that's coming through uh, for an incident review. We need to have real clarity of scope, get those terms of reference really nailed down at the earliest possible stage for the instant under review and have that clarity for the timeline under investigation as it relates to the incident and also the timeline to complete the investigation. These things can rumble on and on if they're allowed to do so. We really need to keep a tight uh, uh, handle on that timeline for the completion of the investigation. And if it starts to, to, to fall out, then that has to go back to the serious incident or the serious incident management team um, and, and, and look at why is it starting to, to rumble on. So, but it is important not just to focus on what happened after the incident, that it might be, you know, it can be equally as important to look at the timeline of the incident uh, well before the incident actually arose. Preparation is key, as we all know. I would certainly recommend that, that, that project plans with specific timelines are, is drafted up from the outset, particularly when you're engaging a number of other users and they may be people external to the service. They need to have clarity on when and, and, and how they're going to be engaged with within the, within the review process. That communication plan is key. Said it is central to the effectiveness of our instant review. How are we going to communicate? How are we going to ensure that this is a supportive environment that we can have as, as transparent uh, a review process as possible and have our interview question templates pre prepared before we go into an interview process? So there's so we're very focused on the information that we want to try and uh, get out. As I said, communication, collaboration, involvement, give appropriate notice for interviews, have constructive questions, have that tone right, a good facilitator that, that has um, good engagement with um, the, the interviewees and make sure you have opportunities for feedback. It's not about just taking information from individuals. We want to try and make sure that they have opportunities for feedback and engagement, uh, both on the factual accuracy and in relation to the relevant sections of the draft report as it arises. It requires tenacious investigation. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the, whoever is implementing your, our, the, the investigation element of the process has to be get really stuck in, uh, really get engaged with the document review process and then 
as I said, teasing out the information from, from the interviews. And it really takes a lot of work and, and, and time in that regard. But we want to find the actual, uh, you know, the, the true statements of findings and, and the contributory factors that related to it. We want to try and make sure this clarification on findings at an early stage. What we don't want to arise is that investigators surprise the, 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 the SIMT with the findings in the draft report. There should be open communication um, within the governance model to ensure that people are very aware of the findings as they are arising. So it's important that there's ongoing communications and discussion um, and, and discussion about what the actual findings are before the draft, the report is, is drafted and, and communicated to affected parties. That accessible review report is central, a easy to read, a factual report, not opinions, not what I think. Um, uh, this is factual findings in relation to the systems um, and the system weaknesses that may have arisen um, in relation to the incident, but it needs to provide clarity on the process that were implemented for the review and the findings then from the investigation. It needs to have real recommendations at the end of the day, if uh, irrespective of what investigations we do, if we don't uh, identify real recommendations that are going to really impact on the quality of the service we provide, then it really is all for nothing. A responsive action plan. The, uh, the, the roles and responsibilities of the governance model do not stop once the report has been completed. It is their job to ensure that they implement the recommendations and additional controls to drive that continual improvement. And the value of shared learning, and we talk about this a lot in a lot of our training sessions about, you know, we have all of this information at our fingertips. How can we utilize it to ensure again that we're driving continuous improvement debriefing of staff to communicate findings and additional controls monitoring then those lessons learned and ensuring that they're effectively being implemented one thing that i would recommend is that as part of the incident review process we look at the early stage of maybe the more the standardized incident process like how was it initially recorded how was the issue at identified, was it appropriately recorded in a timely manner, and did the escalation process work? So it's important that the earlier stages of the incident uh, reporting model is feeding in uh, to that incident review process so that, there are, uh, that they're working cohesively together. Just uh, before we finish up, I found this paper, I thought it was interesting uh, how not to do an incident review, I suppose, in, uh, from the perspective of staff. Um, and, you know, staff and their feedback is central to, again, to, to the effectiveness of our incident review. But they had some interesting feedback in relation to uh, their experiences when they were involved in incident review. The first was of shock and disbelief when notified of the schedule review at short notice. So again, bouncing them into an interview when they're not fully prepared. The shift leader was notified in the evening when we came on duty and she informed us of the notification to appear for the review in the morning. I didn't believe why so soon, the whole team was shocked. So again, not allowing proper communication and, get, and, and giving time uh, for individuals to prepare for uh, their interviews. Another problem, frustrated and confused at the lack of guidance in preparing for the review. After getting the notification, I asked the team what we had to bring to the review. No one had an idea. What do I say when I get to the boardroom? Who else is coming with me? I tried calling my manager to find out what was needed, but she was nowhere. So again, no um, staff, uh, designated staff liaison or support uh, to be able to provide guidance. And then obviously the value or the quality of the information that's going to come through uh, from that interview is going to be very limited when people are very much on the back foot. 
where we were speechless when questions were asked in an interrogating and ver verbally attacking manner. So lack of facilitation and, and, and an inappropriate tone in this regard. The reviewers asked a question to get clarity in the incident, but when you try and answer, you felt it was an interrogation. Questions were personal and hurting us without giving us a chance to explain. Comments such as why and how could you let that happen? You are uh, speciality trained. So again, that attacking manner and an inappropriate approach to the investigation or the interview um, requirements. Sadness when reviewers assigned the participant blame for the incident. I was very traumatized and sad when blamed, especially because no one wanted to listen to my side of the story. They concluded and found me guilty for something I never did. So again, lack of focus on the systems element of it um, and a finger pointing exercise and allocation of blame. Just a couple more. Anger at the lack of empathy from reviewers. During the review, I started feeling hot and I asked to be excused. However, one of the reviewers abruptly told me to stare where I was and I could, um, I could feel getting into an argument, so I obeyed. I was physically exhausted and emotionally distressed, but the person didn't understand what I was going through. And a general helplessness at the absence of feedback from reviewers. We're awaiting feedback after this session um, on the outcomes and the way forward, but till today, nothing was provided. Is it business as usual or will we be getting letters from management? So again, no shared learning, no feedback, uh, no opportunities in that regard. So, with all of that in mind, I hope that uh, I suppose clarified some of the things that we see when we are out there for services who have embarked on, on instant reviews and, and have certainly faced some challenges in that regard. In relation to HCI, we've conducted um, many uh, instant and complaint reviews, including different types of actions, after action reviews, look back reviews, a lot of serious incident reviews, um, complaint investigations and aggreg aggregate reviews in that regard. So if any of you, do require assistance in relation to serious instant reviews or the approaches that are required, please feel free to contact us at the email there, or you can call us at any stage. Um, you're more than welcome to drop us a line. And I hope it was of assistance to you this morning.